This is Redemption Radio with Pastor Cody King of Redemption Calvary in Commerce City, Colorado. Here's a preview from Pastor Cody of today's message. He wasn't looking for Jesus. He was looking for something from Jesus. And maybe you've said these things, that God, if you would just do this thing, then I'll believe in you. If you would just come through in this way, then I'll give my life to you. God, if you would just get me out of this situation, then I'll follow you all the days of my life. And you know what happens? He follows through, he he comes through for you, and then you explain it away as some sort of circumstance. Oh, it must have just worked out. It must not have been God. And then you justify your reason to leave him and, and abandon him. We have a habit of putting stipulations on our actions. If someone has continually given you reasons to doubt their loyalty, you might say they have to prove themselves to you before you can trust them again. But today, Pastor Cody reminds us that there aren't any stipulations when it comes to Christ. Why? Because God gave Himself up as a sacrifice for our sins before we even had the chance to mess up. Instead of putting conditions on your faith, put it in the One who will never let you down. Now. Turn in your Bible to the book of Luke chapter 23 as Pastor Cody begins his message, The Saying of Promise. We're in the middle of a series together, The Seven Sayings of Jesus from His Cross. And today we're on saying number two. We started this uh, with uh, the saying of Jesus in Luke chapter 23, verse 34, which is, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. So that was our, our first saying. And if you uh, missed that or you want to take a, a look at that, it's online for you. You can go to our website and, uh, and watch or listen to that at any time. It's always there for you. But today we're going to be looking at uh, the saying number two. The cross um, here for us is where we find Jesus. That he's on the cross and he's, he's saying some things from the cross. And that this is the, the setting and the centerpiece of it all. And in this, in the cross, it's, it's got to be understood that this is the way by which we are saved. That salvation comes by the cross of Jesus. There's, there's not much that we could not say enough about the cross of Jesus. There's not uh, uh, enough time that we could spend talking about the gospel of Jesus. And that's why we're even going through this uh, section in these seven sayings of, of the Lord. Now, while there are many religions, there's only one gospel. There's lots of religions, but there's only one gospel. The word gospel literally means good news. And there is only one set of good news. And that good news is that even though we are fallen and lost and helpless and hopeless, God puts on flesh, becomes a man and dies in our place so that he might pay for our sins. That's great news. That you don't have to earn your way to heaven. That you don't earn your right spot with God. That, that you can't do enough good stuff. That you can't accomplish enough things in order to get Him to like you. That it's just His grace. That you, you haven't done anything for it. But that He extends His love to you. The only thing that we must do is uh, accept His forgiveness of our sins. To turn away from our, our sinfulness and turn toward Him. You see, this idea that God would wrap himself in humanity and die the death that we deserve on our behalf to remove our guilt and pay for our sin is the good news of the gospel. It's the most magnificent, the most glorious, the most heroic, the most awe-inspiring true story of love that has ever been written. 
that any story that you've ever seen, any, any movie that you've watched, you guys like movies? I love movies. Any movie that you, that you watch and that you're just, you're, you're inspired by it or you're filled with this, this anticipation by it or you just look at the, the hero and you say, how heroic, how loving, how sacrificial. And we, we lift up and exalt and honor those things. All of those things are a ripoff of the story of Jesus. All of them. The things that are written and the, the stories that are told, they're all, they're all just remakes of the story of Jesus. And uh, uh, Hollywood makes a lot of money by telling Jesus' story just in different ways. It's all about him and it all comes through him and, and for him. What looks like to the world a disgraceful defeat in the death of Jesus is actually what we celebrate as victory and hope, the cross of Christ. We noted that Jesus has some very specific things to say at this very specific time, that as he's on the cross, that as he's nailed to the cross, he says some things, and that the things that he says carry some weight and carry some value because he's chosen this time to say these things, and so we're giving our attention to them, that, that he is choosing this moment for these words, and in, in essence, Jesus is preaching a mini-sermon from his cross about his cross. And being that Jesus has selected this time to say these things, we would do well to pay attention to what it is that he has to say. And, and so we're going to be looking at that together today, the second saying of Jesus. Here's our big idea as we look at this together. Keep this in mind as we study through this, that eternal hope can only come through the cross of Jesus. So today let's look at Luke chapter 23. We're going to start in verse 32 to gather some context, uh, but we're going to be spending our time looking at verses 39 through 43. So Luke 23:32 says this. There were also two others criminals led with him to be put to death. And when they came to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. And the people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneered saying, "He saved others, let him save himself if he's the Christ, the chosen of God." The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription was also written over him in the letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were also hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, You do not even fear God, seeing that you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today we're going to be looking at this section and focusing on this idea that eternal hope can only come through the cross of Jesus. And we're going to break it down into three parts, into three different pieces, three different angles of approach as we look at this. Number one, verse 39, is the perspective of the world. Secondly, verses 40 through 42, is the perspective of the saved. And then thirdly is, verse 43, the promise of Jesus. The promise of Jesus. So let's take a look at this first one, the perspective of the world, verse 39. Jesus is unique in a great number of ways. In a number of those ways, and among them, uh, these unique qualities, is Jesus' ability to draw people to himself. Have you noticed this, that everybody's got an opinion about Jesus? 
everybody's got something to say. You can't ignore him. That everyone's got something to say. Everyone's got something to say about him, some opinion that they formed about Jesus. And this is because of who he is and this unique quality that he alone possesses. Uh, Jesus, in fact, said in John chapter 12, verse 32, he said this, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. Now, we, we sing about this and we talk about this. And generally speaking, when we talk about this, we're talking about exalting and glorifying the name of Jesus, which is right and appropriate. And I think a good application of this verse, but that's not what Jesus was talking about. What Jesus was saying that is that if I go to the cross, that this is the means by which I will draw all people to myself. And this is an absolutely true thing. Everybody, all of humanity is drawn to Jesus that there is this draw that he has, and that though Jesus does draw everyone to himself, it does not mean that everyone will have a favorable opinion about him. Not everyone does, though they are drawn to him. That we all have this, this draw toward the Lord. That, that there's something within us that just, that just is drawn to him. There's something in us that just knows that there's something right about Jesus. Now we can choose to reject that, or we can choose to receive it, But the truth of the matter is that we are all drawn to him. The cross of Jesus pushes you to make a decision about him. C.S. Lewis says it like this in his uh, book, Mere Christianity. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. There is no middle ground with Jesus. There is no fence to sit on. You can't ride the fence because there isn't one. That, that, that instead of a fence, there's a chasm that separates God from man that is bridged by the cross of Jesus. And as Jesus here draws us to himself, his drawing us to himself is drawing you to a point of decision. What will I think about Jesus? What will I believe about him? What will I choose to to say is right and appropriate and true? There's no middle ground. There is either confession and repentance or hatred and contempt. There can be no middle ground with Jesus. Now, as the narrative of the cross unfolds, we see that there are two men crucified with him. You see that there as we were reading it, it says in verse 32, there are also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. That there are two other men led with Jesus to Calvary, to this this place of the skull, and there they are crucified with Jesus. We're told in John uh, chapter 19, verse 18, that Jesus was in the center. Here we read that there was one on his left and one on his right. That there are two of these men. And that Jesus there being in the center, that that he is literally in the middle of these two different guys, and, and they represent more than just themselves. Today we see that they not only represent themselves, they also represent humanity. People, we as people, have a choice to make. And that Jesus there is in the center of it all. And that he, he separates and divides the world into one of two categories. And you are in one of these categories. And it's up to you to make your choice and your decision about who you say Jesus is. You can't just say he's a good moral teacher. He's either Lord or he's a liar or he's a lunatic. He can't just be a good guy. 
Because the things that he said in claiming deity and claiming to be the only way of salvation places him as either true or insane. Jesus is centered here between the believing and the unbelieving. Notice in verse 39, the first criminal and what he says. It says, Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. Now this first criminal, he opens his mouth, and out of his mouth comes reviling and persecution of Jesus. That he goes so far to demand, Jesus, save us. That there he is hanging from the cross, and, and all that pours out of him is this, this vileness. Sometimes when, when people are placed in difficult and trying situations, this is what comes out. That, that trial and difficulty and hardship, they don't produce character within you. They only reveal the character that's already there. And here this man that is, is hanging on this cross, and he is guilty and he absolutely knows it. The weight of his sin, the weight of his guilt, causes him to strike out and lash at somebody else. That he's trying to, to tear them down. And sometimes maybe you've experienced this. Maybe, maybe someone's done that to you. That they've lashed out and they've torn you down. Or maybe you've experienced yourself doing that to somebody else. That you've gone after them. That the, the way the world works is that if you want the promotion, if you want to move up, the way you do it is you stand on the back of somebody else to get it. You've got to tear them down in order to move yourself up. But that's not the way of the Lord. The way of the Lord is to say that I'm going to be the servant. That the way up is down in Christ. That I'm not going to be one who, who tears others apart. Instead, I'm going to be one who lifts them up. And so this man is, is entrenched in foolishness and pride, even so much so that he attacks an innocent man who is also his Savior. He's willing to attack Jesus. He may not have even believed that Jesus could do such a thing as save him and himself. I don't think that he probably did. I don't think he believed that Jesus could do it, I think he was making fun of Jesus. I think he was attacking him and saying, oh yeah, you're the savior. Look at you now. Sucks to be you, bro. Now, that's basically what this guy is saying. And as he's, he's persecuting and reviling and coming against Jesus, he doesn't realize that he's attacking the one who's actually literally dying for his sin, paying for his sin. Proverbs 17.10 says this, a single rebuke does far more for a person of understanding than a hundred lashes on the back of a fool. A single rebuke. More than a hundred lashes on the back of a fool. This man is filled with foolishness, filled with contempt. And it's being poured out of him continually. We're told in Matthew that the other thief, the other robber, the other criminal was entering into this with uh, with this first criminal, that they both were attacking Jesus. But then something took place somehow in the middle of all of this that Jesus was able to reach him and his, his heart and mind changed. But this foolishness had overcome them and they began attacking Jesus. They didn't understand what was happening and they didn't understand the weight of it all. They're only striking out and attacking Jesus here in, in his pain not realizing that he's paying for their sins. In all of this, Jesus is noticeably silent. Did you notice that? He says nothing. He says nothing. He's being reviled. He's being attacked. He's being persecuted. Uh, false things are being said about him. He's being mocked and he says nothing. He just takes it. He just receives it. He just accepts it. You see, this man displays a hardness of heart that proves that even if Jesus did do this, did do what he asked, he wouldn't have believed in Jesus anyway. 
He wasn't looking for Jesus. He was looking for something from Jesus. And maybe you've said these things, that God, if you would just do this thing, then I'll believe in you. If you would just come through in this way, then I'll give my life to you. God, if you would just get me out of this situation, then I'll follow you all the days of my life. And you know what happens? He follows through. He comes through for you. And then you explain it away as some sort of circumstance. Oh, it must have just worked out. It must not have been God. And then you justify your reason to leave him and and abandon him. And yet God still remains extending his grace. Even through all of this, as this man is reviling Jesus, he's there dying for this man's sin as equally as he died for yours and mine. As equally as the man who would believe in him. He's paying for this man's sin, though he will not believe. You see, he didn't want Jesus. He just wanted something from Jesus. And I got to ask you the question, what about you? Where are you? Are you more interested in the stuff you get from him? Are you more interested in the things that he might do for you? Is he more like the genie in the bottle that you just tell, here, Jesus, make all my wildest dreams come true. And and you have to because I prayed and I put in Jesus' name at the end of it. That's the magic, isn't it? You got to put in Jesus' name and then he does whatever you say, right? (laughs) No, no, that's, that's not the way that it is. That's not what's happening. Instead of wanting stuff from him, uh, we need to want him. This man didn't want Jesus. He just wanted something from him. At best, it's a gamble to see if Jesus would do something. And at worst, it's a scornful accusation about God not being the way he wanted God to be. God, you're not the kind of God that I think you should be. You're not doing the stuff. If I was you, if I was God, then I would. You ever said that? You ever thought that? If I was God, I would, and I'm just really thankful. I'm thankful for you that I'm not God. (laughs) Because if I was God, things would go a whole lot different and it would be no good for anybody. Uh, This is, it is not a good thing. That that God is acting in his way, on his own, the way that is right and appropriate from his perspective, which is always right, which is always good, which is always appropriate. And so this man, maybe he's gambling to see if Jesus could do something, but I don't think he's even doing that. I think he's just mocking him. And saying, your God isn't the real God. You're not God. Because you're dying. This doesn't make sense. This is one of two positions that people take with Jesus. That, that either, either having the perspective of the world, that God should be the way that I think he should be, that this cross that he's taking, this way of shame, this doesn't make sense. This isn't victory, this is defeat. And yet Jesus says, and he holds this up as his most glorious act on our behalf. And says, this is This is done for you. Not only do we see the perspective of the world in verse 39, but also in verses 40 through 42, we see the perspective of the saved. Look at verse 40 and see what it says there. It says, But the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Notice there at the beginning of verse 40, we see these words, but the other, that these two criminals, both rightly condemned, uh, are set in opposition to one another. They both deserve the same thing. They, They both were probably a part of the same insurrection. And like we had mentioned before in our study through the Gospel of John, that uh, Jesus takes the place of Barabbas, and this third cross that Jesus is on, it was probably his. It was probably prepared for Barabbas. And these men, these insurrectionists, these, these people who are mounting a revolt are rightly dying for their sins. 
and Jesus takes their place. And these two men are there, they're going to the cross, and, and these two criminals, rightly condemned, are set in opposition to one another, representing completely different responses. Both of these criminals are equally guilty. Both of them are equally condemned. Both of them are equally suffering for their sin. Both of them are equally in the presence of Jesus. And both of them are equally hearing what Jesus has to say. But they couldn't have more opposite reactions to this gospel, to this message of Jesus from the cross. But they have these different things that are taking place. You see, they have completely opposite responses to the grace of Jesus. And this is something that is common in humanity. I remember that when I got saved, when I was, I was 17 years old, I was uh, just living life, chasing out the best thing that I could chase and trying to do whatever seemed best to me in the moment, whatever seemed to best serve me. Everything was about making as much money as possible and getting as many chicks as possible. That was life, right? That's uh, pretty much any teenage boy. Um, that's life. So girls, just so you know, that's what, that's all they care about. All boys are evil. That's what I tell my daughter. I have four daughters. I tell them all, all boys are evil. Don't settle for a boy, wait for a man. There's good advice. Don't settle for a boy, wait for a man. Wait for a godly man who will love Jesus more than he'll love you. Wait for that. Wait for that. And so I'm there 17 years old and I'm just doing whatever. And then I get invited to to go and hear this preaching. And I'm like, eh, whatever. I'm not really into it. But there's some chicks, so I go. Um, (laughs) And there, as the gospel is being presented, I'm in this big arena and there's, there's literally thousands of teens with me here. Um, it seemed as though I was the only one in the room. That as the, as the preacher was talking and as he was describing this life, destroyed by sin and it was as if there was deadness in this weight being dragged behind you and that this life that you try to live and you're trying to advance forward, you're trying to make things better, but it's just not working. Things are just having trouble. As I try to set myself free, I become more ensnared and more tangled. I knew he was talking about me and and, and I knew for some reason God was putting his hand on me and God was telling me, I want you. Sitting next to me was my best friend growing up, one of my best friends. He he lived next door to me. We grew up together. We learned to play guitar together. We, We would go hunting together. We played sports together. We just, we lived life together growing up on the same street. And he was sitting right next to me. And that day, we both, having similar sins, having similar life experience, being in the same exact place, one of us gave our lives to the Lord and the other didn't. And to this day, that was a long time ago, to this day, he still isn't walking with the Lord. He still hasn't chosen to submit his life to Jesus. See, there is something that takes place that when the gospel is presented and when the gospel is heard, that there is a condition of heart whereby you can submit yourself to the Lord. You don't, you don't have to understand it all. You don't have to know all of the theological terms. You don't have to get it. But there is something that takes place when God's word is preached and when his gospel is presented that somehow you just get it. It just impacts your life in a different way. And you have a choice in that moment to say, I'm going to turn away, that's the biblical word, repentance. I'm going to turn away from my sin and I'm going to turn toward God. But in that moment, you only have two choices. The choice is either rebellion or repentance. That's it. There is no middle ground. There is no third option. In the book of Acts, we have this laid out for us in uh, two different verses. I want to show them to you. Acts chapter 2, verse 37 says this. Peter is uh, here, he's preaching a message. He's preaching the gospel. 
There's a lot of people gathered together. He preaches the gospel. And as he preaches the gospel, something significant takes place. Notice here it says, Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter preaches the gospel. They were cut to the heart. And in repentance, they soften their heart toward God and they get saved. They accept Jesus' sacrifice on their behalf, realizing that Jesus died not for himself or his sin, but for their sin. That it was them, that it was their depravity that placed Jesus on that cross. And as Peter preaches this message, notice what it says there, that they were cut to the heart. You've been listening to Redemption Radio with Pastor Cody King of Redemption Calvary in Commerce City, Colorado. Thanks for tuning in for today's study. There's much more to learn from the series called Seven Last Sayings of Jesus. We encourage you to tune in again. In addition to that, why don't you subscribe to our podcast? That way you'll not miss an edition and you can even leave a comment. If you're enjoying these messages, you can learn more about Redemption Radio and Pastor Cody by visiting our website at redemptioncalvary.org. There you can explore other teachings from Pastor Cody's verse-by-verse studies and find out how you can join us for worship this weekend. Redemption Calvary gathers every Sunday to connect with God and each other. We'd love to see you. You'll be able to find service times, directions, and all the information you need at redemptioncalvary.org. We're also live streaming on YouTube and Facebook if you're unable to be with us in person. If you have any questions, feel free to give us a call at 720-466-5358. Be sure to let us know how we can be praying for you too. Again, that's 720-466-5358. Our time with you today has come to a close. But be sure to catch Pastor Cody's message next time. We're excited for you to have the opportunity to hear what God wants to speak to you. Here on Redemption Radio.